I don't know if you've ever noticed, but almost anything can look pretty good in the right light. Not always, but a lot of times you can take a very ordinary average object, and if you just put the right light on it, it can actually look pretty good. I want to take a moment, I commend those of you who have the courage to go out on Black Friday. I am not normally one of those people. I am rarely one of those people. I don't like shopping in general. Uh, but to those of you that have the courage to go out on those days, you know, kudos to you. A couple years ago, Jen and I were out. It wasn't actually on Black Friday, but it was some holiday shopping, and we were actually doing some traveling, and we were walking through a mall. And I still remember this. I had shared this with a couple of you, but this, it just so struck me. We were walking through the mall, and I, I looked over to my left, and there was one of the most amazing displays I had ever seen. And right in the center of it all was a vacuum cleaner. So let me say that again, a vacuum cleaner. Now, when I think amazing display or amazing uh, modern technological advances, the first thing I think of is not usually a vacuum cleaner. But on this particular day, I looked over and it was almost one of those magical movie moments where time froze for a moment. And I looked over and I'm not kidding. I'm looking at a vacuum cleaner. It was one of the most amazing, beautiful technological advances I think I had ever seen. It looked like something straight out of the year 2200, like into the future. It was just this gorgeous thing. And I went over and looked at it. I was trying to understand why does this thing look so good, only to come to realize they had very, very carefully placed all these different lights with different shadings and things were glistening in certain ways. And there were like these diamond sparkly things around it. It looked absolutely incredible. <laughs> now, if you can make a vacuum cleaner, a normal average vacuum cleaner look amazing, then the reality is I think we can make just about anything look amazing if we put the right light upon it. And it's not just in the, uh, objects that are like that. It applies to individuals and people. Even with people, if you put the right light on them, they can go from looking very average and ordinary to looking pretty good. Or under the wrong light, too much dark light, they might even look bad or evil or not good. But then, like I said, you put the right light upon them and suddenly they look better. Light has the power to do that. Light has the power to make something very average become above average, something very ordinary to become extraordinary, even something ugly to become beautiful. And that's really what Isaiah is going to be sharing with us here this morning, because this applies not just to physical light, but to spiritual light as well. And so I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, or are welcome to look it up on your smartphone, look up with me Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7 here this morning. And if you remember, in this season of Advent, we are using Isaiah as our guide each week of Advent. This is week number two in Advent, and Isaiah is about halfway, a little bit more through the Old Testament. It is a long book, so it's an easy book to find. As you do that, I invite, like I said, look in verse 2 of chapter 9 with me, and this is what we hear as Isaiah begins to reference light. He says in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, one of the interesting things about light is this. Light can create a way where prior there was no way. It can lend clarity where prior to that there was not a sense of clarity. So anytime you can find a way forward where there was not a way forward before that, it instills within us a sense of hope. So one of the things about light is that anytime there's a sense of hopelessness, the, the gift of light offers us at the same time the gift of hope. Therefore, light can turn hopelessness 
into hope, and you know this. Any of you who have gotten up in the middle of the night in your bedroom to go to the bathroom or whatever, you've been in that bedroom a thousand times, probably more than that, and yet when it's completely pitch dark, you're literally kind of fumbling your way around in a space that you're actually very familiar with. Maybe you've tripped over a few things. Maybe you've stubbed a few toes. Maybe you've misjudged the distance to the bathroom door. What is that? It's because it's so dark you can't see, but as soon as you turn the light on, suddenly there's a way. Suddenly it's easy. Right now it looks pretty good in here, especially up here on the stage. We can put the lighting in certain ways that make things look good, and especially the blue light and the Christmas lights and all that. It's wonderful. Now a couple of you have, but I doubt too many of you have ever been in here though when it is pitch black in here. I've been in here a few times when it is pitch black, and let me tell you, you start to hear certain sounds and you wonder exactly what they are. And I try to tell myself it's just God or the Holy Spirit, but when it is pitch black in here and you're hearing weird sounds, it is not the most comfortable place to be. What can make a difference? Light. Beautiful, wonderful light. Light can provide a way where before we did not have a way. And when that happens, we discover hope. That is what Isaiah is coming and sharing with us here this morning. Now, remember the context of Isaiah. We shared a little bit of this last week. Chapters 1 to 39, they're being told over and over and over again, start paying attention to God, give your devotion to God, or else bad things are going to happen. And the bad things that were going to happen were, you are going to be carried into exile. The enemies will come, and they will conquer you, and they will take you away. And remember, when you're in exile, there's a sense of homelessness, there's a sense of not being rooted, there's a sense of not having identity. It is not a fun place to be. And so this is happening over and over and over through these beginning chapters of Isaiah, you can almost feel within that just this rising sense of anxiety from God's people. Every day they start to wonder more and more, is today the day the enemy comes? Is today the day that we are overtaken? Is today the day we become homeless? And they're reaching this breaking point as this is all happening day after day, and you can almost picture them looking out over the walls of their city, wondering, is today going to be the day that we see the enemy there? And as this panic is rising, you can imagine what God's people would have been doing, probably a lot like us. If we feel like there's a sense of impending doom or something awful coming our way, what do we do? We form a plan. We put a strategic initiative together. We figure out what we're going to do. We say, I've got to figure this out. And you can picture that's probably what God's people were doing. Like we're getting all this bad news. What are we going to do? We got to put a plan together. It's in the midst of all of this that Isaiah comes this morning, and Isaiah comes, and what does Isaiah deliver to God's people? I love this. A sermon. <laughs> he comes, and in this really crazy time, he doesn't say, you got to get your plan together first. You got to get your stuff together first. What are the things that you are going to do? That's not what Isaiah does. He says, wait, let me give you in this crazy, anxious-filled time a sermon, a word from God. And what does Isaiah say when he comes and he offers this? He says, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What is Isaiah doing here? He's coming this morning and he is saying to these people, don't focus on what you are going to do. Focus on what God has already done and what God will do in the future. Please hear that word. 
in our most anxious times, when we are most tempted to take things into our own hands and to figure it out ourselves and the weight of the world is on our shoulders, Isaiah comes and says, no, you're, you're missing the mark. The more you focus on yourselves, the more you're going to be led astray. That's not what you need to do. Instead, remember what God has already done for you all those times in the past and here's what he's going to do in the future. What's he going to do in the future? He's going to send a light that will lead you out of your darkness. But here's the thing. <laughs> this is so like God. The light doesn't look like what you and I expect. It doesn't come on our timetable. It doesn't come in the form that we look at. So Isaiah says to the people, you are going to have a light that will come, but it will be 700 years from when Isaiah says a light will come into your darkness, from the time he says that to the time that Christ will come and be born as a tiny baby boy. 700 years. That is a long, long time. Here's the other thing Isaiah is doing. And again, he always shares God's ways are so often different than our ways. Isaiah comes and he says, you need more than a flimsy hope right now. You need something with substance and gravity to it. And so the hope that you're going to find, it is going to come when the light of God comes among you. And that light, it's not something you can earn. It's not something you can train yourself for. It's not something that if you educate yourself enough that you can make it happen. It's not something you, humanity, you God's people can create on yourself. You cannot manufacture this light that is to come. It is beyond you. It is beyond what you can come up with on your own. And therefore, because you can't create it on your own, the only way that you can receive this light is as a gift. You cannot do anything to earn this light. And therefore, you can only receive it as a gift from God. We know this in part, and it's highlighted, because if you were to fast forward with me for just a few moments, uh, when Jesus is born, do you remember who some of the first people who witnessed the light of Christ are? When there's the star in the sky shining over where Jesus is born, it's a group of magi, foreigners, in a far-off distant land who see the light of Christ. They didn't do anything to earn that light. They weren't religiously educated to recognize the light, and yet they're some of the first ones to see it. Why? Because God offers the gift of light as a gift that we cannot earn. And so I invite us this morning, church, receive the gift of light. One of the very first things I want to ask you to do this week is this. I want to ask you at some point to literally set aside even five minutes this week, just five minutes, and stop and light a candle and just look at the light, five minutes. What would it mean in those moments to receive the gift and the giftings that come in that light, and specifically let that remind us of the light of Christ? What would that look like? I want to invite you to do that this week as a way of beginning to embrace the light of Christ among us. But here's the thing. I can stand here this morning and I can say to you, hey, look upon the light, receive it, embrace it, but we can only embrace light, we can only embrace the gift of God, when we recognize it. And let's face it, we as human beings, we're not very good at recognizing things. Isaiah knows this. Look what it says in verse 6 this morning. If you want to know what the light looks like, here it is. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What should we be looking for in the light of Christ? How is it going to come as a baby. Really, God? 
a baby? That's our light? That's our saving grace? If you were going to send a light my way, surely I would be thinking you would send a military king who will conquer our earthly enemies. But Isaiah says, no, that's not what you're looking for. If you look in that direction, you're going to miss God when God comes among you. My light will come as a son, a baby, and he's going to be so great. He's not going to just defeat your earthly enemies. He's even going to defeat the enemies of sin and death. But if you're not careful, you'll miss it because you think you know what the light looks like. You don't. Here's what it looks like a tiny baby boy. It's Isaiah's way of saying, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you, and you're still probably going to miss it, but I'm going to do my best to make it really clear to you. Just last night, you heard Pastor Daniel reference being at the ugly sweater party. Uh, I was there, and I was one of the last ones to leave, and so I was getting ready to go, and I, I was looking for my coat, and by that point, there were literally, I'm not kidding, four or five coats in the closet, and I am looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and Carol said, is there something wrong? And I said, I put my coat in here, or somebody did, but I said, I can't find it. There were only like four or five coats. And we literally started looking in another closet and couldn't find it. And I came back and I looked again, and here, where there were only four or five coats was, was my coat. Like, like, I had been looking right at it, like, numerous times, and I, it wasn't comprehending. Like, now, I'm pretty bad at that, but I know I'm not alone. Like, we all have those moments. Like, we know what we're looking for, and even when it's in front of us, we miss it. Isaiah knows that. So Isaiah's like, I don't want you to miss the light. Here's what it is. Here's what it looks like. Don't miss it. When Isaiah comes this morning and says, here's the light that will shine in the darkness, he gives us proof of the light coming when he says, here's how you're going to know you're going to find it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, I can say that over and over and over, but you know what you and I do? We continue to form God in our own image. So we say, God, we know what you really look like, but let me tell you this morning, God is not a, a thunder God like Thor from the Marvel Avenger movies. He is not a, a Zeus, you know, throwing thunderbolts. That, that is not what this God that we serve is like. God is not Yoda. We might love Yoda. He might be a wise sage, but God is not sitting in the corner of the sky dispensing information and knowledge from on high. God is also a maker of creation, but God is not just the water and a brook and the stones and the trees. We might feel God in nature, but God is not to be found by putting the right combination of stones and rocks and trees and water all together. That's not what this God looks like. Isaiah tells us what this God looks like. Isaiah says, here's what you want to look for. Number one, my light is a baby, a baby boy. Here's what he looks like. This Advent season, look for the baby. And he also says, again, back to verse two, the people walking in darkness, what have they seen? A great light. This is what you want to look for. This is what God looks like. Light and a baby. Embrace that light in whatever darkness you may be in. Advent is this season to say, prepare for that. Look for that. Please don't miss it. And because we're human beings, we so often miss it. I don't want to miss it. One of the great things about Advent, and you, just, you know this, there's a shift in Advent from ordinary time to there, there's something special going on. And you know that because we feel that all the time. Like, I mean, 
we, we put up trees and we, we put up decorations and we have ugly sweater contests and parties. And like, we, we don't do that in normal time. We, we buy presents for each other and we do extra things and all these wonderful decorations. All of those signify to us there's a shift from ordinary time to special time. But nothing signifies the shift more in this Advent season than Christmas lights. I love driving in the evening and just in a moment now because when it starts to get dark and people's Christmas lights come on, you just automatically know there is something different going on. That's what Isaiah is sharing with us this morning. In this season of Advent, there's a shift from ordinary to something special. Get ready for it. Embrace it. Those of you that love to watch movies or sports or anything on TV, uh, it's great to watch those things or to watch a movie, but you know, even with the most high-definition TVs, it's still two-dimensional. There's a flatness to it. One of the things I love when we gather here and we're talking about the light of Christ, we don't want to embrace that light just in a two-dimensional way. We want to gather and we want to share it in as many dimensions as possible. A friend of mine this past week reminded me and showed me Advent is actually not a two-dimensional thing. It's at least a three-dimensional reality. How? Remember that Christ came as a tiny baby boy. That's what we're celebrating in the season of Advent. Yesterday, in the past, he has already come. When he did that, eventually as Jesus lived, he lived a perfect life. He lived, he died upon the cross, he rose again, defeated sin and death. Because of that, you and I can experience Jesus Christ today, right here in these very moments. But we also know the time will come when Jesus will come again. Do you hear all the dimensions? Jesus came yesterday. Jesus is here today. Jesus will come again. All these beautiful dimensions of the past and today and the future, we recognize that in Advent. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. He doesn't focus on two dimensions or even three dimensions. He actually goes to a fourth dimension. Look what it says here with me again in chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called, get this, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of in those four categories what isaiah is doing is saying here's your light and under each one of these categories there are giftings to be received in the light and so what i invite you to do this week first church is this i've already said to you take five minutes somewhere pause light a candle look at the light embrace the light how can you embrace the light by receiving the giftings that come under these titles, which we're going to unpack here in just a moment. But when you do that this week, I encourage you, put that picture of that candle or you with the picture, put it on the church Facebook. Like, share with the community as a reminder to each other to say, hey, sometime this week, even for five minutes, it could be in the morning at your devotions, it could be right before bed, it could be midday, it could be when you need a break, doesn't matter when. Literally light a candle, gaze upon it, and let that be a physical reminder of in our own souls receiving the gifts that come with the light of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness, in all of its many wonderful holy dimensions. And when we do that, what we discover is that God as light means we will receive gifts of understanding and comfort from God as our wonderful counselor. So I would say to you this morning, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what's going on for you. Do you need a sense of comfort and understanding in your life? If so, know this. The wonderful counselor is there and here for you. Why is it that we enjoy going to counselors at times? Why do we need to go to counselors? Because they listen to us and they try to understand us and we share with them some of the things that are deepest and darkest in our hearts and lives and we feel safe to share with them and that allows for healing and new life in our lives. Nobody understands us 
better than Jesus. Nobody knows us more completely than Jesus. When he came into Mary's womb to be born, Jesus was entering into our biology, our psychology, and our history, which means he knows every single component about us. He knows everything there is to know about us, and so we can feel safe sharing with Christ whatever is going on in our life, and in that there is comfort to be found. When Jesus came to this earth, he literally got his feet muddy walking on this earth so that he could know what you and I know. That means that Jesus knows what anxiety is like. He knows what depression is like. He knows what aloneness is like. He knows what abandonment is like. He knows what it's like to not have money. He knows all of that because he lived it. He is our most wonderful, holy counselor. There's a reason at this time of the year that some of us really struggle it's called seasonal depression. It's a real thing. What's going on? There's less sunlight out there. And so it's just sometimes harder to feel upbeat. We need light literally to be comforted. We need to be known to be comforted. This God, this wonderful counselor, he gets us. And so if you need comforted, church, receive that in the light of Christ. If you continue in looking at the next one, said so there you got the wonderful counselor, but it's not just a wonderful counselor. This is a mighty God that we serve. God as light means receiving gifts of power and strength from this mighty God that we serve. I want to get this right because it just totally blows my mind. In our solar system, we have one star. It's called the sun. Our sun is a very average star among many, many stars. But here's the thing about our sun. It produces 400 trillion, trillion watts of energy, right? So first of all, I can't, even, I can't even start to get my mind around that. 400 trillion, trillion watts of energy. To even start to help us get a glimpse of what that means and what that looks like, it means every single second, the sun produces enough energy or the same energy as one trillion megaton bombs, every single second. Or to think about it another way, every single second, the sun produces enough energy for all of the energy that our whole creation uses right now, today, our civilization. In one second, it produces that same amount of energy that would last for 500,000 years. In one second. Now, our sun is one sun, one star in our galaxy. It's one star among billions in our galaxy. And our galaxy is one galaxy among billions in the rest of the universe. Our God is a mighty, holy, powerful God. But what Isaiah comes to us today and reminds us of is he's a mighty, holy God, but if we're not careful, we'll miss his mightiness because he comes in a way we didn't expect or in a way we were not looking for. Look what it says with me in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 here this morning. It says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. This would have been absolutely shocking to those who first heard it. They would have expected him to say he will honor Jerusalem of the nations, not Galilee. Galilee was this little out-of-the-way place. Nothing mighty, nothing good ever came from Galilee. You and I as human beings, we have this tendency, we're always putting things in a pecking order. And we're always trying to find out where we are in the pecking order. And specifically, we recognize who's above us. But even more importantly, we want to know who's below us. We want to know who we're a little bit better than. Well, it wasn't any different in ancient times. 
And so Rome would have been the center of the empire at that time, the most prestigious place. Rome would have looked down on a place like Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was the center of God's people and held a place of prestige. Jerusalem would have looked down then on a place like Galilee. Galilee was this little out-of-the-way podunk place. It sometimes reminds me, I've shared with you, my parents live on a farm. There's not even a stoplight in my parents' town, none. That's kind of what Galilee would have been like. That's where this mighty God is going to come from. We can't even get our minds around that. And this mighty God is going to be born in this little out-of-the-way place, and he's going to be born not among heads of state, but among shepherds. And he's going to be born not in a nice hospital and not among royalty, but in a food trough, in a manger. And oh, by the way, he's going to be born not to a beautiful, wonderful, altogether wealthy family, but to an unwed teenage mom who for the rest of their life would be stigmatized because of that reality. And so it's so easy to miss the light or the mightiness of this God because he doesn't come in the way we would expect. But make no mistake, he is indeed mighty. Because look what it says in verses 4 and 5 here this morning. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, this tiny baby who is mighty God will literally break the power of war, break the power of violence, break the power of evil in our world. That's the kind of power behind this light of the baby boy that we're looking for here this morning. Don't miss it. Do you need power in your life? Do you need strength in your life? Then receive it in the light of Christ, in the mighty God who gathers among us this day. Isaiah says, don't miss it. But there's more. Because God is light also means receiving the gift of love forever that comes from God as everlasting Father. Catch the word everlasting there. Scientists have discovered light that they believe has literally been traveling now for 13 billion years. That is a long time. Light basically goes on forever until it encounters something else. That's its nature. It goes on and on and on and on. doesn't stop. You know what's interesting about God? Many of them. How could you know? There's lots of interesting things about God, but think about this. If you go into Scripture, go to verse 3, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. You're only three verses into all of Scripture, and we encounter a reference to light. But what's interesting is that the sun, which might provide light, isn't created until day four, which is later on. Where did the light come from? What was the light before the sun was there? And then if you go all the way to the end of creation, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, when the new creation comes in and there's all the gloriousness of God and God's city coming in, there's no reference of the sun, and yet there is tremendous light. Why? Where's the light coming from? From the glory of God. God is light. God in God's own self through God's glory and majesty produces the light. But here's what's fascinating. The light existed before our creation. The light will exist after creation, and it exists through our creation. What do you hear in that? Forever and ever and ever, God goes on. Do you need a sense of God's love? Then know this. It will never, ever end. It will go on and on and on and on and on forever. 
Do you need that gift today? May it be found in the everlasting love of God the Father. And then, says Isaiah, God is light means receiving the gifts of light and harmony from God as our Prince of Peace. Do you come with a heart that is unsettled? Do you come with a heart that is broken or shaking and receive this peace? When Jesus came to earth, this is essentially what he did. Anytime, anytime you find peace somewhere, if you find peace in a country or in a nation or in the world, what do you find? You find a flourishing, you find a beauty, you find a grace, you find a harmony, you find abundance, you find no injustice. When Jesus came to this earth, he came so that, it might, that there might be peace between us as humanity and God. Why? Because in our humanity, in our brokenness, in our sin, we were not at peace with Almighty, Holy God. And so what did Jesus do? He lived a perfect life. He died as a perfect sacrifice on the cross. He conquered death and our sin through the resurrection. And in doing so, those who welcome and expect Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior receive the peace that only He can provide. And no longer is there any friction between us and God. We receive peace. And where there's peace, life flourishes. We literally could not have life right now if the light of the sun did not exist. Photosynthesis could not happen, which would lead to a chain reaction of events. We could not exist. Light is needed in order for life to flourish. At the same time, if the sun were to go out right now, if we had no more light from the sun, by the end of today, our whole uh, world would be at zero degrees, and before too long, it would stabilize out at 400 degrees below zero, which obviously we could not operate within. Peace allows life. Light allows life. Last thing in that, look what it says here this morning in verse two. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now that phrase, deep darkness, is a unique phrase. It literally means the death shadow. What is Isaiah saying here? Even in your darkest pits of despair, even where you think life cannot flourish or you're not feeling it, even there, God's light can reach and bring forth new life. Do you need peace? Jesus offers it as the light of Christ in this baby boy. That's what Isaiah is saying to us this morning. So church, sometime this week, even five minutes, will you stop, light a candle, embrace the light in all of its dimensions? Do you need the comfort of the wonderful counselor? Do you need the strength and power of the mighty God? Do you need a reminder that God's love for you will never, ever end in the everlasting Father? Do you need peace in the midst of a broken world? Then receive it in the light of Christ this day. As we end this morning, I shared with you something last week that was very near and dear to my heart. I hated to have to share it with you, but I did because it happened. Uh, my Duke Blue Devils lost a few weeks ago. But it wasn't just an average loss. Uh, they lost on their home court to an unranked opponent. Uh, first time that has happened for them in 150 games. 19 years since that last happened. That is a long stretch. I wasn't very happy about that. It was a rather crushing loss. And it wasn't just that they got blown out. They lost in the very last moments of the game. 
just a heartbreaking loss. The individual who scored the layup for the other team, whose name was Stephen F. Austin, gentleman who was putting up the layup, literally he, he got it off just in the nick of time, scored the layup, their team won, Duke lost. That individual's name is Nathan Bain. Nathan comes from the Bahamas. Stephen F. Austin had welcomed him, and they were trying to be supportive of him in a variety of ways because for Nathan Bain, his family had lost nearly everything back in September through Hurricane Dorian that went through the Bahama area. Literally almost everything of value to them was wiped out. And Nathan Bain's father is a pastor, and much of the stuff at their church got wiped out or hurt in this process as well. So when Nathan Bain, as he being on the basketball team, Stephen F. Austin wanted to be helpful to him and supportive of him. So they started a GoFundMe account for Nathan, and any money that they raised, they wanted to send back to the Bahamas, specifically for his family and their church and others who were in need. In working on this GoFundMe account, prior to the Duke game, they had gotten about $2,000, and it had been stuck on $2,000 for about a month. Uh, Nathan Bain scores this winning layup. They defeat, you know, almighty Duke. It's this crushing loss. Nathan Bain, though, becomes an overnight sensation, literally. And the last I checked earlier this week, that GoFundMe account had risen all the way to $137,000. Their original goal had been to get to $25,000. What's interesting in that is if you hear and if you talk to Nathan and if you talk to his mom, here's what Nathan said. He told the Associated Press, I was just in disbelief of what basketball had done for my family. He said it was a true blessing. And then his mom said, this has been unbelievable. It has truly been life-changing. Light can come from the most unexpected places of darkness, defeat, chaos, craziness. The God that we serve brings light and beauty and God's life to the full, even out of the darkest places. Church, I invite you today to do whatever you need to embrace all the fullness of the gift of life, the gift of hope found in Christ. And if we do that, it's not just a flicker of hope. It is a full thrill of hope for us to experience in Christ. May we do that today and in the weeks to come.